0: At the time, I was blind, but now I see.
1: Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you your fucking khakis.
0: Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Dr. Johnny Bowden, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show.
1: It is my pleasure, Anthony. I'm just delighted to be here. We were talking a little offline before we started and I have so much in common. And I'm very interested in what you've done and I'm delighted that you're interested in what I've done. So I am excited about talking to you.
0: I'm excited to talk to you as well. I'd mentioned your, your program, Unleash Your Thin. I bought around years 10 ago. years ago, I think, about probably 10, 10, years 10, ago, yeah. 10, 11 years ago. And that that played a uh, a foundational role in you know, my development of of truth in this industry where there's uh thank there's you. a lot of misinformation. And thank you. Thank you, you, kind you of so much. Point me in the right direction that not a lot of these uh that essentially the lipid hypothesis, this belief that dietary uh fat and saturated fat was the cause of heart disease and 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 that cholesterol was the enemy. Um maybe you can take us back to sort of do you remember your epiphany moment?
1: Absolutely when, dude when I really realized- Love to
0: yeah, please take us. Take it,
1: it wasn't so much an epiphany as a kind of an awakening, a slower kind of process. And I want, I'm especially interested in sharing this with you because I have a feeling you were a trainer, mm-hmm. so you were trained like I was. I don't know whether it was American College of, uh, uh, of Exercise ACE or whether it was ACSM or NASM, all of the organizations you got that training just mm-hmm. like I did. Um, and my epiphany about all this came when I realized that m- most of that training was just not accurate. And here's how it happened for me. Um, so I was a trainer at Equinox Fitness Clubs. I was one uh, when, and, and when I say I was a trainer at Equinox, I mean we opened the club. Mm-hmm. The first day Equinox opened in Manhattan on Columbus Avenue. I was there on the floor, September of, I don't know what year it was, 1990, something like that. So I was a trainer at Equinox for about seven years. I got all the certifications, NASM, uh, ACE, ACSM, all, I had six of them. Um, and I thought, man, I know my shit. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I kind of was coming from, I had a different career before this. I was one of those people who came to personal training in health, mid. you could say mid-career. Um, I was a successful professional musician and performer. And I'd worked all around the country with some very, you know, well-known and and successful people, Broadway shows, stuff like that. But I got interested in health and fitness, largely not quite like you did because of an illness, but I was a Physical mess, man. I, I mean, think about musicians in the Woodstock era. You know, mm-hmm. sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I am emphasis on the drugs, <laughs> drinking. You know, coffee and cigarettes is the breakfast, and you wake up around eleven. I mean, that's who I was. You know, and and I got interested in this slowly. I thought I was bored. We tra- we travel around the country doing shows and setting up for Broadway. You know, for off Broadway shows that would tour around the country, and we'd be in a city for a week. There's nothing to do. Once you got the show down, you show up at night, sound check, you're up. So I started hanging out with the actors, and all of them took their job of keeping themselves fit and beautiful very seriously. I had nothing to do. I said, How do you do this weight shit? You know, what do you do? How do you show me how to do an exercise, literally. And I remember it started like in 1982, and I, I started this stuff very slowly one of the actors mike he said come with me to the gym i'll show you a couple things i go i was so i got bit by the bug hard and you know what i mean i mean it's like wait a minute i'm feeling a little bit better changing my diet little very little at a time i was the guy who would go to the gym and these guys existed you may not remember because you're much younger but these guys they'd go to the gym do a bench press go outside have a cigarette go to New Orleans, you'll see that today. They have smoking and drinking in the, in, the, in the gyms. So that was who I was. I wasn't like black and white. I mean, it was a much more gradual thing. I stopped smoking over time. I did what I thought was a healthy diet, which is less meat and more, you know, I did by the book and it took a while, but I started to see the changes and I started to have more energy and the belly came off. And it's like, wow, man, this is like really amazing stuff. And I got like many of us have gotten when we come to this for a personal challenge, we go, we become a zealot. We wanna tell everybody about this. So here I am at Equinox at the height of the low fat movement. It's like 1990 was my first year as a personal trainer at Equinox. And I was lucky enough uh, well, let me let me back up. So, so here we have everybody who's on the low fat diet. And this was the era in which if clients didn't lose weight doing what we told them, the general zeitgeist of the health community was they got to be lying. Mm-hmm. Because if you get on that treadmill and you exercise off that number of calories, you got it's mathematics. You mm-hmm. can't possibly be doing what you say you're doing, Mr. Jones, not eating these desserts and getting on the stair mat, you would be losing weight. It's gotta be these and, and this was we I heard this at conferences. I mean later it, on. It, it's it's still an query. epidemic
0: belief today.
1: It's still an epidemic <laughs> belief today. That breaks my heart, but okay, so that's where we are, and that's what people were thinking. And Around that time, 1992, I don't remember, the third edition, the final edition of the Atkins Diet came out, the New Diet Revolution. Of course, we all thought, including me, Atkins should be whatever the medical version of disbarred is. His license should be taken away. He was killing people. He was telling them to eat bacon and saturated fat. And they were and we were just you can imagine here we are, the low fat crew. And, you know, the, the zealotness in the 80s and early 90s, how, how much zealousness there was around that. If you remember Susan Powder and the, and the, you know, stop the insanity commercials and all that stuff about stop eating fat. That was the message of the well, mid 80s on to, to some some places still today. And we'd have clients who were frustrated because they weren't losing weight on the low-fat diet and the exercise we were giving them. Of course, our solution to that was put more time in on the StairMaster and eat less fat. It's very simple, right? It wasn't working. Now, I'm not going to... sit here and tell you it didn't work for anyone in the country because clearly there are people walking around who have lost weight on the low-fat diet and seem to do okay. Hundreds of reasons we can talk about, but it is far less common than most people think. It really, by and large, the low-fat diet was a big bust. We didn't know this then. So these clients are coming in and they're going, Johnny, I'm going to try this Atkins. I've got friend on the golf course, lost all this weight, or my hairdresser lost all this weight on that. I'm going to try Atkins and we, the trainers of Equinox and certainly me would say, you can not do that. You might lose a few pounds, I'll give you that, but you're going to get a heart attack with all that cholesterol and fat, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. They'd come back and they looked better and their waists had gone down and their eyes were clearer and they had more energy and they went to their doctors and, and this is a typical thing that would happen with the doctors. And it really something to, to point out. I remember, I can't even count the number of cases where they would go to their doctor and the doctor would say, Mrs. Jones, holy moly, look what you, you've you done. This is magnificent. Look, these results, this is, this is great. What have you been doing? And they'd say, well, I went on the Atkins diet. And the doctor would say, you can't do that. It will kill you. Let that sink in. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at the data, they're reading the blood tests, they're seeing lower triglycerides, better HDL to tri- to to um, triglyceride to HDL ratio, lower inflama- inflammatory markers, lower A1C, lower blood glucose, and they're going, this can't be because we all know the Atkins diet will kill you. This presents what psychologists call cognitive dissonance you've got two ideas that can't both be true you have dissonance between the two ideas one of which is these people in front of me are doing damn well the other of which is this diet kills people they can't both be right now up to this time i had no training in nutrition i'm I'm just a trainer going like perry mason well mm, mm, this doesn't this doesn't fit um so I decided to start studying nutrition. It was around 1998, and I lucked into studying with one of the great girls, who's no longer with us, but who probably half the A-list people that you would know of have heard of him or studied with him, J.J. of them. we were all protégés of Robert Crayon. And Robert was a skeptic about a lot of this, and he was very research-oriented, and he was very little outside the box. And I was lucky to have professors like that. And he would put on these conferences, and they'd have people like Mike and Mary Dan Eads, who wrote Protein Power, who were big, low-carb people. He'd have people like Sally Fallon and Mary Ennick, who wrote you know, Nourishing Traditions and the, the, the Whole Foods book that the, uh, that the uh, ancestral health movement uses as a, as a guide. We'd Western hear a. these Price. people. Right. So we'd hear these people and they were also a little skeptical about how this saturated fat. And I'm I'm thinking as a trainer, we've been telling yeah. these people to stay away from something, but when when they add it back to their diet, they seem to be doing better. What's wrong here? And that's when I began my it was very slow. I started with a certified nutritionist degree, which doesn't really mean anything. It took a year and uh and eventually I got my PhD uh in in um In uh, holistic nutrition. And I'd already had a master's in psychology, which happened to serve me very well in dealing with the clients and understanding the issues, as you and I talked about offline, that are not just about diet and exercise, but are about the whole person's life and all of those things and how they impact our weight, our health, and our metabolism. And I'm sure we're going to get into all of that later. But the point was that I saw that there was something amiss here. And as i got my education i began to look at more of the science i knew how to read research already because i had a master's in psychology and we have two years of statistics and research design so i know how to read those studies and i know when they're bullshitting and i started looking there and the evidence just wasn't there it just wasn't there so i started to think about the epidemic of diabetes that we were seeing, the epidemic of metabolic syndrome, the epidemic of obesity, and all the other things that we talk about. And what were these people eating? They were avoiding fat for one reason only, because it raised their cholesterol. And raising their cholesterol made them die. But if that weren't true, and it was starting to look like me, to me, like there's a big fallacy in that argument. If that wasn't true, then the dietary recommendations of the last 40 years crumbles like a house of cards because it's all based on the notion that fat and animal products raise cholesterol, which in turn raises heart disease. So that's how a trainer from Equinox in 1999 starts writing books like this, The Great Cholesterol Myth, because it is at the heart of our belief system the dietary fat will kill us. And if we could blow that one out of the water, that boneheaded notion out of the water, we could really change people's diets. And it wouldn't be about lowering cholesterol. It would be about protecting you from heart disease. And they are two very different things.
0: At what point in the in, in your journey? Because I mean, I, I have to thank you. As I mentioned, we had a lot of the same certifications. I was an NCSF certified personal trainer. I was teaching yoga. I'd, I'd gotten. I'd become a, a certified nutrition
1: specialist. And which, by the way, can I just tell the audience how big a deal that is? Very <laughs> because CNS is not easy to get. That test is probably the hardest test I ever took in my entire life, and I spent a year studying it for it. So, congratulations! And and we need to let people know the importance of the CNS credential. It's very important. It. And a lot of people see it on my books and go, "What is that?" It's sports certification by the most important nutrition organization in the country. It's, it's I, a big I, deal.
0: I appreciate I appreciate you saying that. And I mean, fortunately, I had a little bit of a head start because this was I got that certification at least a year or two after I I'd, I'd torn through dozens of of books, including you know, Unleash Your Thin and and some of the ones that you had written. So there was actually a part of a, a part of my brain where I had to reconcile what I knew to be true from the scientific research and and what you had put out there and what they were teaching to be true in the CNS course at, at the time and there was a little bit of a disconnect it was because even those, though that's a great
1: organization they yeah. they most of them are mds they are more open to nutrition than most but uh, the 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 um, the come to Jesus moment about fat and cholesterol is still happening mm-hmm. in those academic Uh, Circles, although I will tell you it's changing. I mean, I go every year to the Scripps Conference on evidence based supplements, and Mimi Gerani, who's one of the top cardiologists in integrative medicine, when I started going to that, it was all about you got to do this for cholesterol. She talked about natural ways to lower it, but they bought into the same notion that lowering cholesterol was what it was about, except they said there's ways to do it, and they mentioned lifestyle and stress and red rice yeast, but they were still focused on that. And I remember about two years ago when I saw it, that um, thing I showed her a copy of the great cholesterol myth, and she said, Oh, yeah, cholesterol, that doesn't matter. So, th- those things are really starting to change, but they are very much entrenched in basic uh, conventional medicine, and even to some extent on the fringes of complementary integrative functional medicine. There are still some people who are true believers in the yeah. cholesterol hypothesis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, where are you today when it comes to testing for cholesterol? Because, you know, the, the information that's out there, you'll hear, hear everything from, um, cholesterol is associated with longevity to, if your cholesterol is high, it will kill you. And there's a lot of nuance to cardiovascular testing. I mean, do you believe that, that testing for cholesterol has a role in, Preventing what is one of the the, the primary killers of of humanity. So you've got heart disease, cardiovascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, and cancer, is, and, and then now on the rise is neurodegenerative disease. But what does cholesterol? Does testing for cholesterol have a role?
1: Yes, but, and this is the thing that I think is most misunderstood from the first edition of our book. We were they thought we were saying cholesterol doesn't matter. Cholesterol testing. Doesn't, the cholesterol test, as you and I know it, and as I will venture to say 99% of your listeners know it, which is a test that comes back with your triglycerides, your HDL, your LDL, and your blood sugar, is as obsolete as an Atari 64 computer, a Commodore 64 computer. Doesn't mean it didn't have a use at one time. When I got my first Commodore 64, man, wow! You know, when I got my first flip phone, Wow! We got smartphones, we got uh, iPhone 11 X pros and we got Samsung galaxies and we're using a friggin' flip phone. Let me give you a brief history of cholesterol testing and you will see the idiocy of using that test for anything other than toilet paper. So it's like around 1960s and they discover that you can measure cholesterol in the blood and they're still going with this cockamamie hypothesis that that leads to heart disease and death. And we can, I mean, I have a book full of research. You talk about like citations, the new edition of the book, millions. So we don't have to go through all the citations showing that that just isn't true. But that was the hypothesis. And they wanted to measure it. And if you were, you probably weren't born in 1960, but if you were and you went to a health fair, which they used to have, they'd have a little booth and there'd be somebody there with a little pin, pinprick and they would measure your cholesterol and tell you and get you, a, you know, this was great for a health fair. And so Mrs. Jones, it's 220, a little bit too high, or a little bit too low, whatever it was. Not long after they discovered that actually cholesterol travels in the blood really in two different Carriers, two different boats, if you will it can't it can 't float through the bloodstream this, many many civilians don 't know that you can't get cholesterol has to travel in the blood, think of it like an ocean liner you know something crossing the ocean you, if you threw it in the water it's going to sink, but if you threw it in a trunk or a balloon or something a raft it will so cholesterol needs a container, and they realize it actually comes in two different kinds of containers, HDL, LDL, right? High-density lipoprotein, and they don't just hold cholesterol, but that's the main thing that they hold, these two different containers. Let's call them black and white containers. And said, so, you know, that would be a great improvement over the total cholesterol test. We could tell people it looks like the ones that travel in the LDL ones are a little bit, they, they don't do such good stuff, but the ones that travel in the HDL, good. let's know what the good and bad one is. Tremendous improvement, just like the flip phone was a huge improvement over that monster thing you had to carry in the 80s. Have you ever seen any of those pictures on Google Images? They were like the size of a Buick, and they walk around. Right. So you get a flip phone, you go, whoa, way better. That's when the research stopped. That's when they kind of stopped. Let me tell you what we now know. Not just HDL and LDL. There's thirteen different subtypes of cholesterol, ladies and gentlemen. Thirteen. I'll give you a few: LP little a, um, oxidized cholesterol, LDL three, uh, LDL three a, HDL two and two a. There are there are patterns of cholesterol distribution. There's pattern A and pattern B, and there's the number of boats in the water which is produced, which is revealed by something called the particle test in cholesterol. These are valuable things to know. To put them into two categories of good and bad, which don't tell us anything, which don't predict heart disease, which are just gross oversimplifications. It's like using an abascus for calculating when you've got a calculator, when you've got an IBM big blue there. I do think cholesterol testing has a role, but it needs to come into the 21st century and we need to use the tests that are widely available. And the only reason doctors stick with these stupid ancient good and bad tests, which, by the way, is like dividing everybody in, in two health categories, short people and, t- and, and tall people. Well, that's a piece of data but it's kind of useless when you have the entire genome decoded and you can look at all the, when you're going to put them into tall. And what does that really tell you? What does good and bad cholesterol tell you? And I'm a great example of this. My cholesterol numbers by conventional medicine are fantastic. Nobody has ever suggested a statin drug. Nobody has ever said there's anything wrong. I have zero risk for cardiovascular disease. I started getting the particle test about five years ago. It shows a very different picture. My particle number is off the charts and I'm doing something about it, but I would never have known that if I was just going blindly along thinking, oh, my LDL is fine. No, your LDL doesn't matter, dude. It's what types of LDL you've got and how many boats are there in the water. So I do believe cholesterol testing has a role, but not the way we're doing it. And anyone who's got a prescription for a statin drug based on that dumb old test should take their doctor up on charges, or go to their doctor and say, I want a modern test that was invented in the last 20 years, not the one from 1960. Then tell me if I need a statin. That's what we need to do with our doctors that are giving us statin drugs based on the most ancient and out-of-date information that we have.
0: So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is you've got the HDL and the LDL. So this is like, these are your, call them cholesterol transport proteins, or like you use the the analogy. Huge
1: categories. They're like huge categories. Then you've got underneath that, you've got one, ABC, two, ABC. There's a million subcategories that we're not talking about, and they're the ones that are important.
0: Okay. So is it not as simple as HDL is, is your healthy uh, cholesterol That's transport right. protein and your LDL is your bad you know, cholesterol correct. transport protein? What, what is is a, what's your view of those cholesterol transport proteins now, knowing everything that you know?
1: Well, uh, I think the, pro- the, the boats are where the action is. The boats are what get damaged. And when the boat gets damaged, it kind of docks somewhere it shouldn't. And that's really somewhere in the artery and takes up residence and then causes inflammation, oxidation, which I hope we're going to talk about, which are huge promoters of heart disease that conventional doctors don't even look at. Mm -hmm. And that's where the trouble starts. So definitely an injured boat parking in a no parking zone is the initiator of all this, but we got to look at why that was injured in the first place. What Mm was the, was it oxidized? Was it inflamed? You know, what is that process? What are we exposed to that causes that? Those are the things we're not looking at. We're just looking at LDL, LD and and HDL. And it is, it's really mind blowing that doctors stick with this thing simply because it's been around a long time. Insurance covers it. We know what it is. We don't want to learn a new system.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we get into um, what's driving inflammation and oxidation, um, what you know for someone who who wants to have a, a more advanced understanding of testing and be able to talk to their doctor and say, hey, these are the tests that I would like to get. No problem, and and I, I know you talk about this in uh, the Great Cholesterol Myth. You've got your updated version of that out. So, guys, head to Amazon and and, and pick up uh, Doctor Doctor Johnny's book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. But for some new edition,
1: do, make sure it's a new edition. The old edition is still on You want the new and revised one, which won't be out till October twenty twenty. And but that's got all of this information. So, for example, there are several ways to test for these kinds of things for the important constructs that we need to know about our risk for heart disease. Uh, the best is to get your doctor to give the real test, which is the, the best of them, I think, is LabCorp's insulin resistance panel, which also looks at the particles for cholesterol and all that other stuff. There are other versions of it, the NMR test. The, some of them just call it the particle test. You want them looking at the individual LDL and HDL particles, the number of them, the size of them, the type of them. You don't want this HDL-LDL stuff. It's like small medium and large in a country where we have size seven, seven seven and a half, size eight, you know, mediums don't fit everybody who's in that huge category and smalls don't fit everybody who's in that huge category. You can personalize this and actually figure out what fits for you. If you get the damn test that looks at all of the different levels of cholesterol, not just these two massive gross categories that really tell us nothing. That makes sense, and and there's just tell the doctor the particle. I want the particle test. And here's the interesting thing about this: we used to recommend all these tests were sort of esoteric and hard to get, and the insurance didn't cover them, and they were more expensive. I get it. Only the health nuts like us are going to pay for it out of pocket. But for God's sake, LabCorp, and Quest, offer these tests now. They're <laughs> available everywhere. There's no reason not to get them.
0: Mm-hmm. And a lot of, and, and now guys, like there are so many of these tests available where you can go through a company like Life Extension, sometimes even going directly through LabCorp or okay. Quest. You can book an appointment, be there, uh, and in 10, 15 minutes, you get the draw and, and, and you can get an idea of what's, of what's going on. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the overlap between what you've seen on or, or what, what would be considered like optimal um, for these tests, if you're interested in both body composition, which, which you specialized in with a lot of your programs and health and longevity, right? So like, where, where does someone want to be with their particle numbers? Um, is 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 that something? That I don't can have exist? the numbers
1: in my. I don't have the numbers in my head, but it is a very clear graph they give you from red to green, and they show you exactly where you are and where it's the danger zone and what you know where you are in terms of the population. It is self-explanatory to a fourth grader. So I don't know the numbers exactly. You don't want particles in like the two thousand number, which is where mm-hmm. mine were. But I know that I don't know exactly where it's like. Whoa, that's really good. But okay. it's really easy to find out. I Beautiful. do. I want to make sure we talk about some of the things that. that damage cholesterol Mm -hmm. and damage our health and metabolism in general that we can actually do something about like inflammation and oxidation. When we wrote the the first edition, I'll just show it. Don't get this one, get the new one. But in the first edition, we basically said the two major things we need to look at is oxidation and inflammation. Now, Mm -hmm. I would add to that sugar, glycation, things like that. But Mm -hmm. inflammation and oxidation are almost beginning to get traction in the normal medical world. They actually now understand inflammatory measures. And so I I think that figuring out how we can biohack the most antioxidant power for our bodies and the most anti-inflammatory, it looks like you're in a very anti-inflammatory setting right now. And I want to call attention to the fact that non-dietary things can cause inflammation. Stress causes inflammation. You're in a very unstressed looking environment. So am I. These things actually matter. And Both in the
0: outside right now, in the sun, breathing fresh air, and parts of the world that aren't loaded with a ton of uh, pollution.
1: <laughs> well, you are. I'm in California. I don't know about it. Los Angeles. But, but I'll tell you uh, before we move on to inflammation and oxidation, just to talk about the non dietary and non exercise related things that can increase cholesterol, for example, or any other thing that we choose to measure. My the co-author in, on this book is a cardiologist, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Mm. Sinatra told me that when he was in residency, mm. there was a day once when he had either surgery, or he hit something big at like six o'clock at night and he hadn't eaten all day. And just for fun. And he's stressed because it's either an operation, something big and he's in residency and it's important. That, and he's very stressed and he hasn't eaten just for fun on his way up. He stops does his own blood test to just see what the, you know, I wonder what my blood sugar is doing, I haven't eaten. His cholesterol is through the roof. He hasn't eaten, he's never had a cholesterol problem. The next day when he checked it, it was back to normal. The point mm-hmm. is what we think about, what we give psychic space to, what we worry about, the way we live our lives, do we breathe, do we go out in greenery, are we? These things matter to measurable metabolic metrics. Mm-hmm.
0: It makes sense. And it, it even makes you wonder, like I went for, yeah, I did a workout earlier, just doing some, some body weight stuff, push pushups, squats. I went for a jog, jumped in the lake afterwards. It makes you right. wonder too, how much of the benefits of exercise uh, have to do with the physical exercise itself versus the psychological effect and the stress diminishing aspect that exercise has.
1: That is, that is the million-dollar question, and it's kind of unanswerable because they work together. I mean, there mm-hmm. is no question in my mind that, you know, burning off the steam. I have dogs, and if you give them a big run. Guess what? They're a lot calmer and a lot less reactive when the mailman comes. These things work together. So it mm-hmm. definitely has – and there's a huge – you probably know there's a huge literature in psychology called uh, – on ecotherapy, which is basically the study of how our environment and particularly our exposure to green things affects mm-hmm. On metabolic health short line the spoiler alert it affects it big time so you know mm-hmm. these things really do matter and and yeah. that's why i've spent a lot of time in all my programs and every book i've written on the subjects of inflammation and oxidation there are two things that are very very important in fact i did a, a piece recently on sleep um i don't remember if it was a video or if it was an article but in the last year i, I did a couple things on sleep and as you probably know you know We all know sleep is incredibly important, but what we may not know is that scientists aren't 1,000% sure why. They don't really know what goes on in sleep. They know it's essential for health. They know you can die if you're sleep-deprived for X number of hours longer than if you're deprived of food. They know there's different renewal processes and pruning of the neurons and all kinds of stuff, but they don't really know what the main reason why sleep is so important. But one of them... At least Matthew Walker, who's my go-to sleep expert um, and wrote Why We Sleep, the book Why We Sleep, Mm -hmm. is beginning to think that one of the most important things that happens while we sleep is that the antioxidant crew gets in there and cleans up the garbage Mm -hmm. and that that's what's interrupted when we don't sleep and that that may be maybe not the only thing but it's one of the most important things that gets done while you're sleeping. So figure that and then figure if this oxidative damage is so bad that it can destroy you if, you if you don't get it during your sleep. It's probably an important component. And it's certainly an important component when it comes to talking about cholesterol and heart disease, because cholesterol really doesn't cause any problem until it gets damaged and it gets damaged by oxidation and inflammation. The twin towers of cellular destruction is what I like to call them.
0: This episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of. Of CBD products. The reason that they're so great, they are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate, and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product. And they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrated, meaning they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic. And then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love it. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD and the benefits that I've noticed my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day. And it even decreases in inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys wanna check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks, I'll spell it out, dot com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are gonna absolutely love it. I think that's a huge point because one of the, I mean, I love putting together pieces of the puzzle connecting dots that maybe haven't been connected, or at least haven't been, haven't had a lot of attention brought to them. And, and when we Mm -hmm. sleep, we know that, you know, our, our, our body, that's when, when we produce melatonin, this, this Mm -hmm. antioxidant that crosses the blood brain barrier, it's been shown to help clear out um, some of the beta amyloid plaque and tau proteins that have been connected with Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disease. And if you're not sleeping well, deeply uh Mm -hmm. there is a possibility that you know the food that you're consuming could oxidize you could be exposed to more inflammation because you know that that part of the process is compromised um let's talk a little bit about inflammation and oxidation and and what are some of the key drivers uh behind those twin towers that you mentioned
1: well, let's start with oxidation. So, oxidation for those who are, who are not quite clear of what it is and what antioxidants do, the best way to think of it is: you you've got a picnic table, you cut up an apple, leave the slices out on the picnic table, go to bed, come back the next day. What do they look like? They're going to be brown. That's oxidative damage. If you leave um, metal out, you know, some on, on for any reason on your lawn, like some of you, you see these old junkers that are up on cement blocks in some neighborhoods. Why do they get rusty? They're exposed to oxidation and to water, and they become rust. Well, rusting from within is oxidative damage. That's what basically is happening. You are – let me say, I think I just lost my light. Did I? No? Ran out of battery. Can you see me okay without the – Perfect. Without the light? Um, So basically – Oxidative damage is like rusting from within. That stuff that happens to the apple or to the junker car happens to our cells, and it happens because of rogue oxygen molecules called free radicals. There, if you if you remember anything from, I, and I remember almost nothing from basic chemistry or biology, you know that that electrons travel in pairs. Mm-hmm. So when one of them gets loose, they get like. Uh, college senior on spring break i mean they're basically like i will mate with anything that's out here and that's what this electron does looking for a mate looking for a pair and it looks it hits on your cells it hits on your dna hundreds of times a day and it damages it and that's oxidative damage so we what, what do antioxidants do what is what happens to the apple if i put some lemon juice on it it's an antioxidant. It's an it's vitamin C. It's an antioxidant. We all know vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, zinc. These are antioxidants. They will retard that damage. They will bite that damage. They will bite, they will donate a, a, an electron if they have to. They'll do whatever it takes to get those free radicals to stop damaging the cell. So that's why and and cholesterol is one of those compounds that gets badly damaged by oxidative damage. And then it gets weakened. And now you're talking about it getting into that parking spot, you know, rolling. All off the road because it's already been damaged by oxidation and inflammation. So certainly this all points us to the idea that we should be supplementing and eating foods with lots of antioxidants. What I think the biohack here is that we already make an antioxidant that's probably the most powerful antioxidant in the body. It's called glutathione. And for, since I started in 1990 in the supplement industry, the holy grail is how do we make a glutathione supplement that actually get, because that's the problem. I mean, if you can get more glutathione, that does everything, you know, but, and we make it. It's an endogenous compound. That means it's made by the body. Like most good things in the body, we make less of it as we get older. So it's even more important to keep it up. And there's just never really been an effective way to take glutathione as a supplement. There've been some that like work a little bit better than others, but we've always with glutathione, we've always had to biohack. So what causes the body to rev up that glutathione production system? The only things that we've had so far, whey protein powder and NAC, N-acetylcysteine, which is a component Mm -hmm. because cysteine and glutamate are part of glutathione. Um, So I certainly have been taking those things. And, and I know we're going to get to the relationship to COVID, but I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest reasons that you want to really up your antioxidant intake, NAC in particular, because that's an antioxidant that has particular affinity for the lungs and for the upper respiratory system. So you want that, you want the glutathione. But the, the thing, the biohack I was going to tell you about today is uh, I recently became aware of a product that actually... It's called it's called continual g. This is in my supplement routine every day now. And it it comes in a little um, packet. Now, continual I don't do a comm- g. continual g, and it's on, on the web at continualg.com. That's where I get it. And I don't want to do a whole promo here for but here's what it does, it's different. So basically glutathione is a combination of basically two amino acids, cysteine and glutamate, and and they that combination forms something called uh, uh, gamma, gamma glutamate. It's it's a it's a combination of those two amino acids, and that's caused by an enzyme. Once you get that, the second process is very easy. Another enzyme works with that, and now you got glutathione. The problem is making that first compound of glutamine and and um, of of glutamate and cysteine. That enzymatic reaction slows down as we get older. So getting that that uh, gamma glutamyl cysteine, that that com- that intermediate compound that's going to become glutathione, becomes harder and harder because the first enzyme just. Slows down. So we, st- we may get some, but we still really need to figure out a way to get that first component of, of the glutathione process. So that the second enzyme, which is pretty easy to do, can be added on, and now you got your glutathione. So what this stuff does is basically it's a it's a a form that's been studied. There is a, I can certainly send you the link of it. A couple years ago, they found that this continual gene produces this, they now they have patented and they call it glycine. That's just the patented name of that first step in the process. And by taking this, and it's an oral thing, mixes in water, it's really easy. It actually gets glutathione into the cell within 90 minutes, and that's what the study shows. And nothing really has ever had that effect before. We have seen NAC in very high dosages produce a little glutathione. We have seen uh, intravenous glutathione, very effective. I haven't really seen anything orally that does it. And this stuff, which is, as I said, the patented formic, they call it glytine. It's easier to pronounce in uh, gamma uh, glutamylcysteine, which is what it really is. Um, And once you've got that first step, Adding the enzyme on is nothing, and this actually gets into the cell. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. Plus, the standard antioxidant C, E, even NAC for its effect on on the upper respiratory. You do all that together, and um, I, you know I I was told off. This was by. Off the record, someone told me this, and I would never quote it and would never be a claim of the company. But when I was, uh, I, I met with a couple of the people who were in on the scientists who were in on the development of this, and he said, Well, of course, we can't say this, but I would love to know if one person who's taking this and who has serious glutathione in their blood and in their cells, I'd like to know if one of them ever got COVID. Now we don't know, and we certainly can't say it protects. But I, 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 the whole COVID thing to me is a multi protectoral thing. I mean, you want to do everything you can. You had mentioned uh, the cytokine storm. I don't even remember if we were talking offline, or but that's one of the worst things that can happen during COVID. So mm-hmm. and that what all that is is inflammation gone haywire. Mm-hmm. So you want to stop oxidative damage and and inflammatory damage at the core, especially when it, and here's the connection to COVID. Can can we go to that for a minute? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. The connection to COVID to me and why I feel, for the first time, I have a book out that I don't want to just promote. I want everybody to read because I, I literally think this will save lives. If you look at every single condition that we consider a precondition for bad outcomes with COVID, like if you've got this, that, this, you better wear a mask, stay in there and pretend like it's oh man, Armageddon because you this this ogres very badly for your outcome. What are those conditions? High blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome, heart disease. And then there's also lung, kidney, and um and liver. And vitamin D first, deficiency. Well, that, these are some of the causes, but all yeah. of those, those Those diagnosable conditions are very bad for being exposed to COVID. So what do they all have in common? They're all metabolic conditions. They all have at their core insulin resistance, which leads to prediabetes, which leads to diabetes, which in 80% of the cases leads to heart disease. You have a whole thing that starts with a metabolic process. And when I realized that, I thought, well, yeah, but. Well, five out of eight ain't bad, right? There's no connection to insulin resistance between liver disease and lung disease and and kidney disease. But just for fun, I did a day worth of digging on PubMed. Oh, yes, there is, my friend. Insulin resistance and liver disease, insulin resistance and kidney disease, insulin resistance and lung disease, huge connection. So now we have a culprit at the scene of every one of the crimes who has motive and opportunity and is placed at the scene. And that is a metabolic process that starts with insulin resistance, which, as you know, is just an inability to really manage the carbohydrate load that we all take in. And this is the connecting factor. And what can you do about insulin resistance? You treat it with diet. It is 100% reversible, treatable, or preventable with diet. 98%, let's say, because there may be conditions in which you damage. but you can still retard the amount of damage it's going to do. So you have this dietary strategy that will lower insulin resistance, which leads to everything that makes COVID likely to kill you, right? Mm-hmm. What would be the dietary changes you would make? More fat, less carbs. And that's precisely why, when we talk about the great, not only does more fat, less carbs, re- lower the risk for heart disease, it also lowers the risk for every damn thing that makes you at risk for COVID. For a bad outcome with COVID. Yeah. yeah, you can't prevent getting it. You can, I mean, you know, if you get it, you get it. I mean, you can do a lot of things to reduce. You do the three things. You wash your hands, you keep distancing, you, and you wear a mask. Yes, you. those are good things. But If you can strengthen your metabolism, get rid of insulin resistance, change your diet, up your antioxidant stores with things like uh, all the things that we mentioned and and anti-inflammatories, you're going to be in a very stronger, much stronger position that if you get it, you will probably be among the 98% of the people who it doesn't kill. But if you don't, and you got all these other things, just think about it. Your immune system is busy putting out fires. It's trying to work anti-inflammation. It's trying to work anti-oxidation. It doesn't have any resources left to fight a damn virus. But if you do all those things, you'll be in a much more. I'll tell you, I interviewed Dr. Daniel Amen. So for those who might not know, one of the great psychiatrists in in the country, non-PBS specials, eight, I can't count the number of best-selling books. So I say to him, I interviewed him right in the middle of the beginning of the epidemic, like March or April. And I said, Daniel, you know, you and I have the same age range. And, you know, you're you're in the same range. You know, you're big, you're susceptible. And, and you know, and, uh, how do you feel about it? Are you scared of it? And this is what he said. This is my Daniel Amen imitation, but it was so brilliant what he said. He said this, he said, well, I don't wanna get it. It's a nasty virus, but my vitamin D levels are 73. I think I'll be okay. And that's the point. You can't go crazy about not contenting it, but you can damn well do the things that make you metabolically strong and resilient. And that's why I'm so hot on my book, The Great Cholesterol, It's because I'm basically saying if you would just change your diet and your lifestyle and stop being so afraid of cholesterol and saturated fat and incorporate those when they are necessary to build your immune system, you will be in a much better place should you encounter this particular virus. Or the next one. Because look, we can't, you know, it's like having an army. You don't know who you're going to have to fight, but you want to be in the best shape you have to be in, right? I mean, or a football team or a tennis match or anything like that. You don't know who your opponent's going to be. It's going to be challenging. Get your own house together. And that's how you get your house together. And the first thing you got to do is stop worrying about cholesterol when you're getting your house in, in order.
0: No, it's, it's brilliant, and I completely agree. I mean, you've covered the fact that the, the role of inflammation and oxidation in driving heart disease, and you talked about some of the antioxidants that we can take um, exogenously that will drive up uh, glutathione levels in the body. You mentioned continual G. We talked about N-acetylcysteine. You talked about vitamin C and selenium and vitamin yep. E. Um, are, are there... Think- Zinc. Zinc. That's yep. another huge one, especially as it, as it relates to COVID and, and, you know, a number of the frontline doctors talking about the relationship with zinc and hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin being a, an, an effective combination for, for those individuals who get hit pretty hard and, um, and need medical treatment. Are there any other overlooked, uh, causes of oxidation and inflammation that, uh, that you'd like to bring people's awareness to things that they're doing that they don't even realize are driving up, uh, inflammation and oxidation.
1: Well, some of them are out of our control, our air mm-hmm. quality. I mean, the toxins that we're exposed to cause inflammation and frequently, I mean, they, these are the twin. they go together. It's almost impossible. It's chicken and egg. I mean, if, if there's oxidation, It's going to get inflamed. And if there's inflammation, it's going to get oxidized. I mean, they just, certainly with cholesterol, they just, it's very hard to separate those two things. But Mm -hmm. toxins do it. Exposure to, you know, to crappy things in the food, pesticides, all that stuff. Heavy metals, I would imagine. Heavy heavy absolutely heavy metals. um, Some medicines, recreational drugs sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, some that are not, you know, prescription drugs and stress, all those things. Help the cascade to get a life. And that's why, since many of those are not as modifiable as we would like, many of us don't have the opportunity to sit where you're sitting or where I'm sitting. I'm very aware of that. And they may not even have an opportunity to be exposed to greenery or they may have to look a lot harder than you and I might have to look. Um, There are still things that we can do to create a a stronger antioxidant force in our army, a stronger anti-inflammation force in our army, and to reduce those uh, sources of inflammation, oxidation, and stress that we have some control over. And with the rest, just build that army up, man, so that when they come, it doesn't It doesn't take you out. It's always the example I always give is hurricanes. So you have a coast of Florida, you got all these homes, you have a big, you know, whatever the category four hurricane, and you look at it afterwards and half the homes are not standing anymore, but half of them are. Why are those homes standing and the others aren't? They were built better. They were built with stronger materials and a heavier foundation. And they're able to, maybe they couldn't withstand a category 10, but Give the same hurricane to houses made of bamboo and houses made of concrete and steel reinforcement, you're going to get a different result. And that's how I feel about our bodies. To the extent that we can, we got to build this stuff out of concrete and steel, not out of the flimsy bamboo that we get with high-carb diets and processed foods.
0: Mm -hmm, mm Yeah, no, I I agree. And um, I'm curious, your thoughts just kind of bring this home. And, and, you know, I want to encourage everyone listening to get the new edition of the Great Cholesterol Myth book. It's October 2020 is when it'll be out. You can pick it up on Amazon. Um, Where do you feel herd immunity fits into this COVID puzzle? Is it some because there's a lot of the the recommendations that we're being given through the mainstream media are put a mask on your face, stay away from each other. And um, what we've kind of seen throughout history is that, you know, typically when 10 to 20 percent of the population is exposed to something, if those individuals are healthy, that's really what allows us to move past some of this chaos that 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 we've been experiencing. What are your thoughts on herd immunity and 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 how that fits into the covid puzzle?
1: I'm not an expert on herd immunity. I try to not speak on things that I don't feel very strongly that I'm equipped to talk about. If you wanted to talk to me about cancer. I'd probably stay away. It's not my area of specialty. Want to talk to me about diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. I'm all there. So I, knowing that I don't know that much about, I, I don't know enough to speak as an authority about herd immunity. I will point out one thing that you said when 10 to 20% of people that are healthy get it you have herd immunity mm-hmm. i think one of the reasons this damn thing is wiping out so many people is we are not a healthy population dude mm-hmm. there's nothing healthy about the american population this nonsense of well, we're the greatest nation in the world we have the hell no we're not a healthy bunch and even some of these uh, and i don't want to never want to blame the victim or any of that stuff even some of the outliers like you know, it's mainly killing older people, but some of them, it's not killing at all. And it's, it's, and once in a while, it's a young person, but we don't really, and they say they were perfectly healthy. My experience is that perfectly healthy, what looks like perfectly healthy and what is metabolically healthy, when you look under the hood are not the same thing. Most of us are eating junk food most of the time, even the younger ones and and eating chips and they Eating, you know, commercial hot dogs and they're eating, you know, this french fries and donuts and sodas and all this stuff. And that simply does not, you know, we can't assume, well, yeah, ten percent of healthy people. Who who amongst us is really in that population that you would say metabolically healthy? Not as many as we think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I think that there is I think there's a really you know, the, the herd immunity thing again is based on a healthy population. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think there are some unique things about this virus that that perhaps, you know, make it almost generis. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I just know that you can go crazy trying to anticipate this virus and the next mutation and the one that will surely come after that. We've had it from the Spanish flu to SARS, to all of them. You can't really... Figure out what the next enemy is going to do. All you can do is do the basics of metabolic health, which is what you are about, what I'm about, what we're trying to teach people to give yourself the best advantages. Daniel Lehman said, well, it's a nasty virus. I don't want to get it. I think I'll be OK. He thinks he'll be OK because he built his house on concrete and reinforced it with steel. That's what we should be doing.
0: This is a beautiful opportunity for us to really take a look inside. You know, yes. where, w- what what type of house we have built, what type of renovations need to be made, and uh, some of the areas where maybe physically, or psychologically, uh, or spiritually, we maybe we may be lacking, and and kind of tighten things up. Uh, Dr. Johnny Bowden, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you oh, for man, creating you. Uh, Unleash Your Thin, uh, a program that had a very pivotal role in my development and, and the information that, that we've shared with our listeners. Um, where can people by the, way, by the
1: way. By the way. I was just going to tell you that the latest version of Unleash Your Thing, which has evolved over the years to first new year 22, and is now called the Metabolic Factor. And it's probably my best selling program of all time. And you can get that on my website. And if you look around on the Internet, don't get it on Amazon because you won't get all the goodies that come with it. It's not legally sold on amazon but there's plenty of places to find it including my website and, and that's the version of it's a phenomenal uh, phenomenal program you.
0: guys make, make sure you pick that up this was it, it was the it was a pillar factor. in in my development thank the you. metabolic factor
1: yeah that's what it's called now thank you yeah
0: yeah thank you thank you for the work that you do and uh, right. where's the best place for people to stay up to date on um on, on books like the great cholesterol myth and updates and all that sort of thing
1: just if you go to my website, which is com with no H and Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y, Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N. I have a newsletter. I tell everybody what I'm doing, what my YouTube uh, uh, videos are about that week or that month and what books are coming out. And, and you can probably stay in touch with me that way. Or if you like Twitter and Instagram, it's at Johnny Bowden. Dr. Johnny Bowden, thank you very much. Thank you, man.
0: What's up, guys? Anthony here, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted, an all-day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, Candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program is full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up, and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together.